Today's episode is supported by Masseria Torre Maitza, a Rocco Forte hotel. In this episode, you'll hear our guest Alex Polizzi talk about one of her all-time favourite hotels in the Apulia region of Italy. This region is known for its stunning architecture, unspoilt landscapes studded with citrus and olive trees, acres of verdant vineyards and beautiful beaches on the Adriatic. And her hotel pick is Masseria Torre Maitza, an oasis in the heart of the South Apulian countryside. It's a quick 10-minute shuttle from Lido Bamboo Beach Club, where guests can relax in the sunshine with a backdrop of white sands and the soothing sound of the crystal clear Adriatic Sea, and fresh seafood dishes at the club's restaurant and bar. There are endless experiences available, all aimed to take you on a journey dedicated to the extraordinary gastronomic heritage that makes Puglia so unique. From a cooking lesson to learn the age-old tradition of making orecchietti pasta by hand, to the art of combining the best seasonal produce that the area has to offer. Sound like the perfect summer holiday? Then head to RoccoFortehotels.com and select Masseria Torremaitza to find out more or follow them on Instagram. Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Oh, hi everyone. How are you all? Hope that you're having a good start to the week. And thank you so much for your lovely messages about last week's 100th episode when I shared my own travel diaries. I'm so pleased that you enjoyed it. I celebrated the special milestone by taking my mum to Abbott Voyage. Oh my gosh, the ultimate night out. I just wanted to give it a huge shout out really because for anyone either based in England or traveling to London, put it on your radar, something to book, because I think alongside Hamilton, it's probably the best show I've ever seen. Definitely the best live concert. Well, the live concert, that's just such a funny thing for me to say, because of course, it isn't a live concert. You're transported back to the 1970s and you're watching avatars perform alongside a live a live band. They call them avatars. But it really was, it just like blew my mind. I kept saying to my mum, I just can't understand how they're, they're not there. I just can't understand it. It's so hyper-realistic. And the music, of course, is just so uplifting and wonderful. Everyone was dancing. It was just such a joyous occasion. So many classics and this incredible light show that goes on alongside it. Tickets are actually quite expensive, but I would say it's worth every penny for a fun night out. So on to today's episode. I am joined today by Alex Polizzi, who you might know best as TV's Hotel Inspector. For the last 14 years on her hit Channel 5 show, Alex has used her decades of experience working in hospitality to advise struggling hoteliers on how to turn their businesses around. And on today's episode, we take a deep dive into what makes a great hotel, a great holiday, and our ultimate travel pet peeves. 
Alex's passion for travel and hospitality is something that runs in her blood. She's part of one of travel's most iconic family dynasties, the Forte family. Her grandfather was a legendary hotelier, Lord Charles Forte, an Italian immigrant who went from opening a milk bar to turning it into an empire of over 800 international hotels. Her uncle Rocco established his own chain of luxury hotels, the Rocco Forte Collection, which you might have heard of. And her mother, the hotel designer Olga Polizzi, jointly runs the Polizzi Collection with Alex. Three hotels across the south of England, the third of which opened just in June 2021, the star in Alfriston, to rave reviews. I spoke to Alex in one of her family's most iconic hotels, Browns in London, an institution. And we had a lovely lunch there beforehand. And then I spoke to her in the Kipling Suite there, one of the most beautiful hotel suites I've ever seen. And it's named, of course, after Rudyard Kipling, the author of The Jungle Book, who wrote some of the book there. Her travel diaries today take us from Cambodia to the Caribbean, from Portugal to Puglia, all across Italy, and much more. So let's hear from her now. Alex Polizzi, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast, sitting in this beautiful suite today, the Kipling suite. How are you? How is everything? Really, really well, thank you. I've just done a tour of all three of our hotels, so I'm feeling quite smug and very cheerful. Oh, lovely. So how did it go? It went really well. The star is quite busy. Um, Trezantin's just had masses of work done to it and I want to see the new bathrooms. Oh, and there are two new suites at Ensley. So um, it was actually a rather pleasant tour. Oh, amazing. Well, we'll come on to your gorgeous collection of hotels later. But today, Alex, we're going to go on a wonderful journey through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries. We'll start at the very beginning. There's so much to cover. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be? I think my earliest childhood memory is a hotel called the Donna Filippa in the Algarve in Val de Lobo mm -hmm. that my grandfather, Charles Forte, used to own. Uh -huh. And... Um, my lovely father, who died when I was nine, used to love golfing there. And so I remember this wonderful swimming pool. I remember him teaching me how to dive. Oh. And I remember going around all the golf courses with him. And oh. um, it's still a, um, it's still incredibly vivid memory to me, funnily enough. Yeah, and I imagine quite an emotional memory looking back, those special times that you share with him. It is, a, it's good emotion yeah. because actually we were treated like, of course, we, you know, my grandfather was often there when we were there. And so, mm. you know, I was treated like a proper hotel princess <laughs> and um, everyone knew, you know, hello, Alex, hello, Alex, you know, all of that, which is so addictive, to yeah. <laughs> ruins you for life, actually. <laughs> and um, my, my father was always very happy there. And I just remember thinking it was paradise on earth. And in fact, we continued going back there for many many years because um, after my dad died my grandparents used to take me and my sister on holiday for a lot of the summer so mm -hmm. to allow my mother some time to work yeah. um, and so I've got continuous memories from when I was about I think about six to when I was about 18. And obviously you know growing up in a family that is you know this dynasty in travel hearing kind of conversations around the dinner table when you're on holiday when you're at home did that give you just a, a taste of uh, of wanderlust from a really early age I 
think what it did was just inspire me with how wonderful uh, job hospitality was. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was young, my grandfather had this incredible range of hotels from the Georges V in Paris, for example, to, you know, little chefs and travel lodges and, and everything in between, all yeah. the heritage hotels as well. And we got to travel a lot with him. And uh, he was treated with immense admiration and respect. And he just loved doing it so he loved his job he loved his career he loved what he'd accomplished mm. um, I was incredibly proud of him and I never really aspired to doing anything different myself really so just that was always what you what you dreamt of, of doing I think so That's I studied so nice. English at Oxford I did the kind of um, they were very proud of me because I was the first girl in our fam woman in our family to go to university Wow, and to, uh, go to Oxford. And I went to Oxford and they were incredibly proud of me and my grandfather desperately tried to dissuade me out of doing hospitality. Really? Yes, he had he had middle class aspirations for me. He wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or you know something that he could boast about. Um, <laughs> and but actually, you know, I I think the die was cast from a very young age. Yeah. And did you, you know, you said like I, what's that wonderful book with the, the, the little girl that grows up in... Oh, uh, is it... Eloise? Um, Eloise in Paris, yeah. yes. So were you like Eloise? No, because I was never in a suite. I mean, it makes me laugh. We were, I mean, you know, when if we went anywhere, we were always dressed immaculately. We were told, you know, we represented the family. We took mm -hmm. this incredibly seriously. Yeah. There was no siding down the banisters or ordering <laughs> ice cream sundaes at midnight. You right. know, we were very, very well behaved. But you just felt, I mean, I was incredibly conscious of how proud I was of my grandfather and of what he'd accomplished from a really young age. And it was just nice bathing in his reflected glory. Mm, that's so lovely. Well, chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with. What would that be? I think if I'm honest, the place where I fell madly in love with the, with the place for the first time was Cambodia. So mm -hmm. my stepdad, William Shawcross, is a journalist and he was the last journalist to be airlifted out of Phnom Penh when the Khmer Rouge wow. um, in, came in. And so, so I think... He was up in amongst it he was really in amongst it wow. and so when I was 24 I think it was he took me for a week to Cambodia as a special kind of father-daughter trip he's always been so nice to me and um I mean I was just I mean it was it literally is like a physical sensation of falling in love and so my poor father had to get back on the plane without me and explain to my mother that I'd just decided to stay there no. and from a week's holiday, I saved a year. I got myself a job and I just moved into rented accommodation. I didn't know this. It was just the most wonderful year of my life. I had really? the most amazing time. So, so, what, so what were you, how did you pass your time? What were you doing? Um, I worked for, I got a job at UNESCO. Wow. Um, and we were making a um, world heritage site of the Tonle Sap, the Great Lake, wow. which unfortunately now is very dried up. But um, at it was an amazing opportunity. Yeah. But also it was like the Wild West. I mean, I went to work every day riding side saddle on the back of a motorbike. Mm. Um, and there was an incredible foreign correspondence club. And we also sit there and drink and look out on the Mekong. And I mean, it was oh, just... how romantic. It was just amazing. For your 20s, it was one of those seminal experiences that, you know, I feel very lucky to have had. And it's become, obviously 
increasingly kind of a popular tourist destination but I imagine at that point it was not all luxury hotels it was much more you know rugged back to basics it was well I've been told because I've never been back because I've never really wanted to see the development that all along the Mekong especially in Phnom Penh there's masses of development and Angkor Wat which had only been rediscovered recently when I got there um, and that was still quite dangerous because there were areas where the Khmer Rouge was still you know in power and you had to only visit certain temples and apparently there's all these gambling you know massive um, gambling consortiums there and glamorous hotels and of mm. course there was nothing there when I went and Angkor Wat is obviously like you know one of the most visited touristic sites now in the world isn't it but I, you had it all to yourself I really did really have it special. all to myself amazing and then you returned to the Far East in Working for the Mandarin Oriental? That was beforehand, actually. So uh, straight after I left... um, So I left university. I was 21. And Mm. I went straight off to Hong Kong to train at the Mandarin Oriental. And I did two and a half, three years there. And then I came back to start work. um, And I worked for Marco Pierre White. Um, But I actually was only supposed to be in Hong Kong a year. And then they gave me a job after three months. So I stayed much longer than expected. So, I mean, what was life like living there as you know one of your first jobs out in the far east how, how was that bloody hard work I can um you worked six and a half days a week um you were the lowest of the low you know you were hardly paid anything but I had this inspirational food and beverage director who I um occasionally write to still in my cups and say I miss you Mr Kruger mm-hmm. um and he taught me so much and I still think of him all the time it was again a really good foundation experience um for my future career yeah so you you were there for you know over a year you must have traveled around did well you're working so hard I guess I did none of the things everyone I've got so many friends who lived an expat life who said to me and the junks and Lamu and you know and the Philippines and the thing I didn't do any of that I mean I just worked six and a half days a week it was just mad it was a baptism of fire it really was and so you mentioned you came back and you worked with Marco um who's I you know I'm really curious to ask because his reputation kind of precedes him as being like fairly terrifying at least he looks a bit terrifying when I watch him on MasterChef (laughs) but what was it like like did you did you enjoy it well I had the real luck that he was a friend of my uncle's and so it was as usual nepotism got me in the door but nepotism didn't keep me there um I got a job as uh, one of the managers of the Criterion Brasserie in Piccadilly Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that they just rediscovered all the lapis lazuli, all the wonderful stuff that was behind all the 70s plastic. And it was the most beautiful room and it sat, had about 250 covers. And again, it was another really interesting baptism of fire. Um, he was very demanding. But again, taught me so much. Yeah. And are you still in touch now? Not really. Um, I think the the thing is about this industry, you know, we occasionally see each other, occasionally hear from each other, but not very often. I mm. mean, especially you're always trying to do the next thing, aren't you? At, at that time, it must have been very exciting because, you know, you, you'd just come back from, you know, this 
hardcore training and he at that at that time was he you know at the height of his celebrity so you know was it like a really buzzy experience it was amazing and you know by the way in your 20s you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and I could work all day and dance all night and do it over and and then repeat Um, and, and living in London was fun uh, and you know you worked really late and then you went into Chinatown and the whole gang of you all used to talk about the service and we were all so passionate about what we were doing it was uh, I mean I don't think I've really had many bad experiences in my industry and mm. that was definitely one of the highlights oh wonderful well I mean speaking about learning about yourself and and growth chapter three is the place where you learned the most about yourself where would you pick for that Um, I have to say it was when my mother entrusted Hotel Ensley to me because I was just 30 and I was, um, I project managed the building work there on this grade one listed building and then the builders left and my mother had put all the furniture in place and I was just left to run this hotel and I had no real idea what I was doing. And um, it was so scary. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with Hotel NC, like just um, tell us about where it is and like how it looks. So what had happened was my mother had started, when my grandfather's company got taken over, with her um, inheritance, she had bought a hotel in Cornwall called Hotel Tresanton in um, 96. In fact, this is its 25th anniversary oh, this lovely. year. And she very quickly followed that with buying this grade one listed Um, wonderful uh, property in Devon which had been the Duke of Bedford's hunting lodge Mm. and it had been a private fishing lodge um, bought from his estate and it was in a terrible terrible state and it only had I mean it was a mad buy it was a buy impulse buy of the heart rather than the head really with unbelievable landscape in front of you. The she long, saw the potential. She saw the potential. I mean, yeah. it had a listed garden. Wow. It has oh. the longest... But that's quite restrictive as well, is it not? It can be. Yeah. It can be. It was a very scary project to take on. But, you know, the longest continuous border in England it had at the time. And, Goodness. You know, so there was lots of very exciting things about it. And I just... I think it taught me more than anything else ever has about me, about what I'm good at, about what I'm bad at, what I like, what I don't. Um, And really, I suppose, what's important to me. And it really solidified and consolidated my idea that it doesn't matter where you are. What really matters is people and service. Right. That's the key pillar. I think so for me, yes. Um, Wherever you stay, you know, a smile costs nothing and it makes such a difference. Mm. That's uh, that's quite a good kind of philosophy to apply to all aspects of life, isn't it? I agree. (laughs) So chapter four, Alex, is the big one. Your all-time favourite destination. Such a tough one, I know. The destinations aren't hard. I've got two. Mm -hmm. Um, Venice. I have to say in Europe is absolutely top of my list. I love it. Every time I go there, it makes me think of the industry of man and what we've managed to achieve. And it gives me hope for the future, really, because if we manage to build this mirage on water, you know, what isn't man capable of? Um, And I know it really well. I go back at least once a year. Some of my best friends live there. And... uh, 
I mean, I don't have a favourite hotel to stay. They're all incredibly overpriced for in what Venice. they are in yeah, Venice. Yeah. They really are. And um, Do you stay with your friends? I, I do if I can. Yeah. But it's the only place in the world. We stayed once at the Cipriani Hotel. And oh. it's the only place in the world. We were with, there with my daughter when she was little. And my husband had a quick look at the mini bar. And he said, step away from the mini bar. Nobody touch anything. <laughs> and it was these, you know, ridiculous prices. Yeah. Um, it's just a glorious place to be. And then further afield, where we've spent a lot of time is Turks and Caicos on Providenciales Island. Oh, and wow. I love that. It's got the most beautiful sea and the most beautiful beach in the world. Mm. Okay, let's go back to Venice because clearly you know it so well. How about for somebody who's going for the, the, for, for the first time, a few places that you'd really recommend that they check out that is like not, you know, the square um. no I think well my top tip always is get up at five o'clock in the morning and go and walk around Venice then because it is so thronged with people all through the day and actually it becomes very exhausting the kind of whole hustle and bustle of the tourists mm. um, if you can see it very early in the morning and you and also a lot of people leave at night because it's so expensive to stay there right. so last thing at night and first thing in the morning it regains so much of its magic mm. um, I would say I love going to the islands to Torcello, Murano um, they've got some lovely restaurants on both of those are they places you go for a day trip or do you stay there? I normally, well, I've never stayed on Torcello or Murano. I always stay on main in on the main island of mm. Venice. Um, but I do like eating and shopping on both the islands. And then the other thing that's incredible, well, not incredibly cheap because nothing in Venice is, but you get the number one um, Vaporetto, you know, that does the whole tour, you know. So you pay like getting on a bus. Yeah. And you do the tour of the Grand Canal and it's, you know, available to anybody. And you just see all the glories, even if the traghetto, even if the water bus is busy, they only fit so many people on. So you're getting away from the hustle and bustle of the main squares and it's oh, wonderful. That's such a great idea. So you just stay on it for as long as you want to. The whole circuit. Yeah, do the whole circuit. Yes, It's like, exactly. a, like a, a, the perfect kind of open top bus. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and like I said, just... See it in the morning, get out, of, get out of the main drag during the day because it's just too much for anybody. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Today's episode is supported by Chitalia and you can discover the real Italy with Chitalia because they are the UK's leading Italian holiday specialists. Chitalia has been helping guests discover the best of Italy for over 90 years. Their experience and expertise together with attention to detail and personal touch really does make them the leading Italian holiday specialists. Their team of experts live and breathe all things Italy, meaning their extensive knowledge compared guests with their perfect Italian holiday experience so they'll go the extra mile that's the Italian way that might be recommending a local hidden gem restaurant in Alex's beloved Venice or a beachfront bar in another of her favorites Puglia down in the south All bookings are backed by Titalia's Travel with Confidence Promise, which gives a refund guarantee, free amendments and free cancellation up to three weeks before departure. So let the Italy experts craft that perfect holiday for you and experience Italy like a Titalian. Thank you to Titalia. And then the Caribbean, Turks and Caicos, actually has been picked a few times on the podcast. It, there's something about Providencialis that really captures the imagination clearly. I've never been, but what is it in particular about it that makes it stand out to you? Having travelled so extensively, there must be something, a real special something about it. Well, there's 16 kilometre beach for a start. Mm. I mean, sandy, sandy beach and I yeah. love walking. Yeah. And you can walk and walk and walk. And there's the most beautiful place to stay that I've ever stayed in my life but it's not a hotel yeah it's called the coral house it is built out of coral stone and it is right on i mean it's like a fairy tale house it's on the beach and it's got a pool and then you walk straight onto the beach and i've been lucky enough to stay there twice and uh, i mean whenever i can't sleep that's where i think of takes you transports you meditative completely yeah sounds lovely how did you find it it sounds like a real hidden gem actually well we were staying at one of the ugly hotels along grace bay (laughs) but i walk every day and so i walked past it and i then looked it up and i found out that one could stay there for an extortionate amount i'm not even going to tell you how much it's embarrassing but you know, if you've got money to burn, that's where I'd burn it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, so you mentioned that you were staying at one of the like big hotels and it just, you know, obviously wasn't your vibe. Like, what is it that actually you, as somebody who knows hotels so well, like, what do you look for in uh, a hotel that you'd like to stay at? 
Well, you see, I think that's a very difficult question to answer because it depends what reason you're traveling for. Yeah. I mean, are you doing a romantic tete-a-tete? Are you with kids? Is it a work, um, you know, stay? And for all those things, you require, need different things. Yes. Um, and so there's no absolute answer. I think the only thing is you want to be, um, you never want to feel as if you're a trouble or an effort or, you know, you are the reason that hotels are there ultimately and you want that to be recognized. Mm. And as I return to saying, for me, it's always about service. Yeah, yeah. And aside from the hotels that are in your family collection, is there one that always stands out to you as being your favourite? I know this sounds really awful, but I I just think we do it better than anyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my favourite hotels are all Rocaforte hotels. Well, if you were to pick one of those, then which would you go for? I would probably pick, um, well, Villa Igea in Palermo. Uh, is pretty unbelievable but also it's because Palermo is so little known it's not really on the tourist trail yet yeah. well I don't know do you think White Lotus will change all of that I'm afraid it might yeah yes. I, isn't I think that it's becoming now the one of the most popular destinations not Palermo itself but the whole island well Sicily's always been popular to the discerning traveler um, but I think Palermo because of fears about mafia and how lawless that bit of Italy was has been an area that tourists have kind of avoided um and all i can say is the street food is amazing the architecture is amazing because it was poor it was never ruined yeah. you know no one ever wanted to spend any money to put up an ugly modern building and so it's very um authentic for want of a better word mm-hmm. um and they have amazing handcrafts and skills there you can uh, you know i can shop anywhere but yeah. um palermo is pretty high on my list is sicily a, a destination that means a lot to you I love Sicily. Yeah. I love, um, again, beautiful sea, uh, wonderful coastline. Um, and I've got a son who's obsessed with Greco-Roman ruins and uh, oh, they so do it better there than anywhere else. Yeah. Where else would you take him? Um, I just took him to Pompeii. Oh wow! And, the ultimate, and it was amazing. We stayed yeah. on. We stayed in Naples, mm-hmm. um, and we stayed in an okay hotel, but right opposite the castle. And uh, we had the most amazing. I mean, uh, honestly, two days of Pompeii and Herculaneum that I don't yeah. think you'll ever forget. Oh, that's so nice. Naples is really like one of the kind of hot destinations for foodies at the moment. I'm reading. Did you find that? Um, you have to remember, I was with a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, great pizza. <laughs> he was very interested in the fried pizza. Oh, um, fried pizza? Well, oh well, gosh, it's it a Neapolitan speciality. Oh, I know, I don't know I anything mean, about that. I mean, you know, that. fried in, in boiling oil, basically, with the same filling that you'd normally have as a topping. And it's just the most delicious thing. The most unbelievable ice cream. If you haven't had pesto pistachio ice cream, you haven't lived as far as I'm concerned. So we need to go to Naples to taste that speciality? I think so, yes. Okay. And then you go over for a nice day trip to Capri (laughs) or Ish. Iskia, yes. I'd love to. I've been to Capri, but I, I've never been to Iskia, and I'm really keen to go there. Well, and there, obviously, oddly, the speciality food-wise is rabbit. Yes. That's, <laughs> yes. Somebody else was telling me about that. How odd. It's, you would just imagine that it would be seafood. Actually, it was Stanley Tucci who was telling me about that because of his searching for Italy. He was came on and had a chat about that. 
But um, yeah, it, rabbit is such a strange one. Well, it's so delicious, though. You'll never look at rabbit on a menu again in the same way after really? eating it there. Yes. I can't say it really appeals to me. Well, I know everyone says everything tastes like chicken, but it does. It tastes like chicken, but it's kind <laughs> of not at all fatty. I think that's a lovely thing about it. Are there lots of rabbits on the island? Is that why? I'm not sure, but they all breed them. I mean, and there's okay. every traditional restaurant has rabbit in padella, mm, you mm. know, kind of in cooked in a frying pan. And I mean, Ita- your Italianness is obviously an imp- a hugely important part of you. Uh, wh- wh- which part of Italy do you enjoy eating? Because each region has, you know, delicacies are so different. Where do I like eating? I mean, obviously the food in Tuscany is wonderful, but Sicily, I love the Sicilian wine is unbelievable. Mm. Sicilian olive oil is unbelievable. Puglia also, though. I I mean, I don't know. That's yeah. an impossible question. Yeah. Actually, I'm sorry. I can't answer it. Puglia, I, I'd love to quickly chat to you about because I feel like that is a really hot destination at the moment. Um, or it has been for the last few years and somewhere that I'm really keen to visit. Um, but that there are kind of good bits and less good bits. Yes. Yeah, so um, Puglia, I've been a little bit um, and some of it's incredibly harsh and unforgiving. Um Funnily it's quite enough, arid, is it? It is places, quite yeah. arid. There's, yeah. It reminds me a bit of northern Cornwall, that kind of wildness of it, mm-hmm. like Zena. Yeah. Um, it's quite a harsh landscape. Yeah. Um, but I went, that was the last place I visited with my mother before we opened the store. And we went to stay at Torre Maitza, and it's only got 40 bedrooms. It's got the most beautiful pool in the world. Um, and you can walk to the beach, and it is just... Um, I saw another side of Puglia, actually. It's so beautiful. Um, and the whitewashed towns. I mean, I already knew Lecce was beautiful, which is honey-coloured, mm. but Otranto, which is all white and mm. just so unbelievably beautiful I mean you know I'm the kind of person if I had enough money I'd probably buy somewhere to live in every single place I go to yeah um and that would be up there would it I think it really would be up there it's got a lovely climate and very friendly very friendly people um and again wonderful food yeah oh gorgeous well Chapter five, Alex, is your hidden gem. That's a destination that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know so much about. It can be, you know, a city or a little cafe, somewhere that means a lot to you. Where have I got as a hidden gem? Oh, I do know. <laughs> I know a wonderful place in Carlion in Wales. Oh, yeah. The Priory, I think it's called. Okay. Um, and it's by the, again, <laughs> it sticks in my mind because there's a Legionnaires Museum. I remember my son is passionate about Romans. <laughs> yeah. And it, I went there because of the hotel inspector. Right. Um, I was filming in the area. Yeah. And the production company put me up there. And it's got the most unbelievable restaurant I mean, really amazing restaurant at the Priory and lovely rooms. And I mean, I'm not the kind of person who would normally say, I really want to go back to, you know, I've got my own hotels in the rest of England, but I want to go back to Wales just to go there. Really? Yeah. So tell me about that part of Wales that it was in. I've got no idea. I mean, you know, I'm normally parachuted yeah, in somewhere. Just a I've got a company going from yes. spot to spot. Yes, but also I'm there to focus very hard on one business and try yeah. and help them and try and help them get better and, you know, whatever I can. It was just, um, I mean, I should have known because I went in, you know, it's not a particularly, it's quite near Newport. It's not a particularly glamorous part of Wales as far as I knew. Mm-hmm. And I drove into this hotel and the car park was absolutely packed. And I, 
I mean, I, I was like, is there a wedding going on? Yes, what's, what's going on? Your heart sinks a bit. And yeah. in fact, for some reason, I'm not quite sure why, but they've got the most unbelievable restaurant in there with fresh seafood. And I mean, it completely blew my mind. I had such a nice night there. And I was only there one night and I just, I want to go back for pleasure. Yeah, Wells has got um, some amazing restaurants. I was just chatting earlier on in the series to James Martin, who was telling me about how he spent his 50th birthday and he went to... In Ishir, which I think was just voted the number one or ranked the number one restaurant in the UK. So. Now you remind me because <laughs> the hotel inspector I was advising was wanted, they were novice hoteliers that had taken over this huge pile of hotel and they wanted to copy In Ishir that was just down the road no and they wanted to get a Michelin star. Ah. And I said, oh, do pull your heads out of your bottoms. You know, it doesn't work like that. But that's why I was staying at the Priory. Oh, no there way. you go. So oh, how funny! Oh well, I, that's an even another reason to go then. Go and visit both of them I in one know, trip. Really, really amazing. So let's talk about the hotel inspector because I mean it's become such an institution. Like how 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 do you feel looking back at all the work that you've done so far, and and what what would you like to do moving forward with it? Um, I think the main thing is I always, I take a deep breath at the beginning of every series. I'm about to hopefully start filming a new one. Um, series 18, I think. I mean, it's mad. Um, and I just always remind myself not to lose my sense of (laughs) humour because actually I always think I've seen it all and I never have. Really? It's amazing. Um, yes. And the range of problems are much more interesting since, um, since COVID, I think it's brought a lot of new people into the industry as gaps have been created by people leaving the industry. Um, That's and that, affecting all kind of hospitality, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. it makes for a very interesting dynamic. Um, mm. You know, people are coming with very different skills and um, and not necessarily the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking for a hotel to kind of offer, how, how does it work? How do you find the hotels to work with on the show? It's all the production company who... But I basically, I, I'm like a guided missile. They just, <laughs> you know, they tell me the car's picking me up at a certain time. I have to get such and such a train. Yeah. And I end up somewhere and I just have thrown myself into it wholeheartedly. And how long are you at the hotels for each time? Um, I'm four or five days. Quite a long stint, really. Uh, over three months. So oh, yeah. I kind of do a visit and a half or a day and a half. And then it just depends really what they need. But I do at least three visits over four or five days. And is there like a hotel in particular that you that you know has a dear place in your heart yes there is there's um michelangelo's in newcastle Mm -hmm. which is owned by these italian brothers um giacomo and paolo pieri and uh they just the working with them was actually such a nice experience it made sense of a whole series because it can be quite thankless giving really good advice to people who completely ignore you but (laughs) they actually were very grateful and responsive and it's really transformed their business I'm so happy for them that's so nice as someone myself, you know, working in travel who has visited a lot of hotels, I've built built up in my, you know, a, a list of things that are my ultimate bugbears. So in a hotel, for me, the, there are three things that re- really bother me. Um, first is um, light switches and, oh. and switches that make no sense to me. Number two is um, a kind of 
a really anti-social cutoff for breakfast being very early so I'd have to set an alarm to have breakfast nine o'clock or something when I'm away exactly although maybe slightly different now I've got a baby (laughs) um and number three is linen hotel linen that has the ends open so that you can actually see the actual duvet or pillow underneath which I find just a bit like yucky yeah um those are my three things like what are your ultimate bugbears funnily enough quite similar so I've got two at least that are really similar to you so I have a big bugbear about lighting but my one thing that I'm never without when I travel is a book and I think I kind of cannot understand it when I get into a room where there's not a light you can read by. Yeah, a but bedside they all light. have to be on. I mean, yeah. it's mad. Yeah. I mean, who are these people who stay in these hotels and never read anything? <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, uh, not having a mattress protector or a pillow protector on a bed gives me the ick, mm. as my daughter would say. Mm. I've got a 14-year-old daughter whose vocabulary, unfortunately, I'm very <laughs> I've adopted. So there's that. And I think um, I suppose the third thing is I know it sounds really stupid and basic, but I just don't understand any accommodation provider who doesn't get cleanliness. And how important it is and that yeah. that's a primary, I mean, it's non-negotiable. Yeah. Anything else can be a matter of taste and discernment, but, yeah. you know, cleanliness has got to be a given. Well, yeah, you'd hope so. But do you find that it really isn't? Well, have you watched the hotel inspector? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of dirt around. I know, I know. I, I actually try, as somebody who loves, I'm, I would say I'm like, hotels is a real passion of mine. Um, but I don't want to even let my mind go there about what might have happened on that bed without that mattress protector on. It's just kind of better to sometimes just kind of focus on the task at hand of just resting and enjoying it in your own right. Yes, but if you travel a lot, I'm sure you're like me. I mean, I often have to leave a light on in the bathroom because I wake up in the night and I've just got no idea where am I yep. today? Yep. You know, where is <laughs> yes. the loo? And if you don't have a light with a light switch next to you and you don't, I mean, you know, you're lost. Totally. Um, so... I don't sleep very well um, in general, and I'm sure that's just because I put my head down in so many different places all think? the time. I think it's just, you know, yeah. you never really know how good a night's sleep is. it's going to be. Do the curtains shut out the light? Are you going to be woken by the rubbish bin or the bottle banks, you know, being yeah. emptied at three o'clock in the morning, you know? Yeah, I do have, I mean, it is funny how when you go and stay in a hotel and you're always, you know, you're paying a significant price to, for that pleasure and how many times you can actually have a bad night's sleep whether that's because of thin walls or the you know the the hospitality getting going in the morning yep. or the like the bins as you say and then you're like gosh you know I could have slept better at home I know all the floodlit frontage that they don't turn off at a certain yes, point at night and yes. it bleeds through the curtains yeah. and like please someone let me sleep you know yeah, it's so Honestly. true isn't it so with that in mind, I suppose, when you find a hotel that doesn't have any of those issues, then it is all the more sweet. I agree. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And then you, you want to go back there again and again. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I would be really interested to ask you about, and um, that one of my uh, listeners wanted to ask you, actually, is what are the most common mistakes that travelers make when planning or booking their trips and how can they avoid them would you say I would say that there's one answer to that which is work out what is important to you and make sure that you seek it out 
There's no point getting to a hotel and saying, but why do we have twin beds when I wanted, you know, I'm on my honeymoon and I wanted, uh, you know, a matrimoniale, as they say, you know, yeah. a matrimonial bed. Yeah. And what did you ask if you were getting a matrimonial bed? You know, don't tell me that you can only, you know, you don't possibly want a bath, you can only shower when you arrive at my place. Because, you know, why? if it was so important to you, ask me beforehand. Right. So it's really actually knowing what you want and making sure, actually taking the responsibility yourself to make sure that that's what you're getting yes and to get it in writing and then you go yeah. you said to me you know right, right. and um you know, I think the other thing is um I mean I've got friends who are much more laid back than me but I can't bear a bad meal so a little bit of planning and a bit of research is really good thing to do mm. there's no point turning up in the middle of some town you've never been in before and just thinking well where do we eat yes, you know and, that, and that's quite stressful in its own right I, I completely yeah. agree and you still yeah. spend over the odds or you're in a strip lit joint yeah you're you know. in the market square going to like the most overpriced place because there's nowhere else that or you're to going go, yeah. to where all the other tourists go because yeah, right, that's yeah. where the concierge sends you oh, and you yes, walk in yeah. and everyone's speaking English and you think I just want somewhere that locals go yeah you know yeah. Venice is very bad for that actually you have to really beware um so i think do your research take responsibility mm. and we're still on the hidden gem chapter and obviously secret italy was such a popular show and you uncovered so many italian hidden gems where maybe most surprised you was there a place that surpassed your expectations in that respect oh i'm just so bonkers about matera Really? In southern Italy. That was what the European capital of culture recently. I heard that, but yes. I mean, I'm so pleased because honestly, that is one of those places. I think I said this in the program, but um, years and years ago, I read this book um, by Primo Levi called Christ Stopped at Eboli. And it mentions Matera and these cave dwellings. And so mm. I'd had this obsession about going there. Yeah. And I dragged my husband there on honeymoon. Um, and... Um, it was amazing to go back 12 years later and see, because when I went there on honeymoon, it was still very, very undeveloped. Mm. And actually, they've developed it really nicely. They've done a very clever, wonderful job. And it still feels, um, it still feels a, like a, an, an, you know, an undiscovered gem. It looks from the photos that I've seen of it like a kind of film set in terms of how like it's kind of the colours and the architecture. Well, it is because it's all carved out of a hillside. Mm. And so everything is out of this tufo, mm. this kind of... And they've got the these wonderful the alberghi diffusi, which is a, a hotel without a kind of central area. So um, with rooms in various caves. Wow. And that is really an amazing experience. I can't say it's necessarily... Um, I mean, there might not be enough hanging space, <laughs> but I have to say it just feels, it feels really special and really unusual. And it's definitely a path less trodden, which yeah, I think is a cool experience. Really have. good experience. And then our penultimate chapter, Alex, um, we were talking about our bugbears. Chapter six is, is your worst travel experience or the place that you'd never go back to. What comes to mind for that? Okay, so I did, I mean, I did the usual backpacking when I was at university <laughs> with my best friends. And um, my my oldest friend, Felicia, and I did about eight weeks traveling through Malaysia and Indonesia and a little bit of Thailand, probably mm. 10 or 12 weeks, actually. And I never forget us staying in some backpackers hostel. 
and hearing this astonishing noise and switching on the light. And this rat had crashed through the ceiling, this enormous rat, and was sitting (laughs) on my rucksack. Oh, my God. And um, there was was a mosque, and the the call to prayer was outside. I mean, it was just, I mean, I don't think we got a wink's sleep for about three days. You were just worrying about another, what else could be falling through the ceiling? (laughs) Yeah, so I think that was pretty... um, I was a quite green traveller and I don't think I was careful enough then and I'm amazed with what we got away with and how we survived a lot of it, yeah. actually. Well, well you, you know, you mentioned that your children, you know, they'll, I guess they'll be coming up to that age in the next few years where they might want to go away travelling. Where would you recommend to them would be a good place for, to, to get that kind of experience now as a backpacker? I would still think, I still think India is just amazing. I mean, I haven't been back there for years, but India's big enough to absorb an awful lot of travellers. Yeah. And and I do think it's really important for spoilt um, white Western middle-class kids to just see how the other half lives a bit. Mm. And um, and not as poverty tourism, but just to be aware of how bloody lucky we are. Mm. And I mean, the, the amazing thing about India is that you can spend so long there and each region is so completely so different. different. And also their religious, I mean, I find fascinating all the different religions there. I, the culture, the food is unbelievable. Mm. Um, I don't know, there's so much I love there. I mean, you have travelled so extensively with your own collection of hotels. Uh, have, are there influences that you've taken from places around the world that, that you want to imbue into your own properties? I think what I want is it not to be too exclusive. I think, you know, you go and stay at some hotels and you actually feel like you're just not well enough dressed or you're not wearing enough jewellery or, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. just feeling as if... Or you're being the you're staff. There to be seen, maybe. Yes, and also maybe the staff are slightly wondering, you know, looking down on you. I hate that feeling. Yeah. And I want my, you know, what's really important to me is that people's money and their leisure time is so precious, and I want them to feel like they've made a good decision to spend it with us. That's mm. something that's um, very important to me. I know that you've only recently opened your uh, the star. But I mean, is there, uh, you know, have you got your eyes on any other destinations or any uh, a fourth? Would you, is that on the horizon? I don't think it's on the horizon yet. I have to say I'm a great believer in trying to do one thing properly before you go on to the next thing. Mm. Um, and um, I don't know if I've, I mean, it's really been a, it's been a tough few years to open a hotel in. Let's put it that way. And yes. it's taken, knocked the stuffing out of me a bit. Not in a, not in a definitive way, but it's just, it does make you reassess just what your life decisions are. And mm. I think, and I, and I don't, um, I think I'd rather, I think I want to have some more time off. Yeah. Rather yeah. than work even harder. Work even harder. Yeah, that's true. How, how are things going? Hospitality. Thank you for yeah. asking. I think, um, Staffing still is a problem. I mean, obviously, cost of living is a problem. Mm. Um, But you know what? You do get such nice... I get such nice customers. I was talking at Ensley last night to almost 60 people who'd come to have dinner and listen to me waffle on about various things. (laughs) And um, someone said to me, gosh, all your customers are so nice. And I said, I know, it's as if I handpicked them all. (laughs) I mean, I really do... 
it's a very rewarding job for that reason. You have mm. a lot of nice people around you. And mm. I, by that, I mean staff and customers. I feel, I mean, it's no, no hardship to go to work. That's so nice. And I have to say, what a lovely collection of properties to, you know, you could do the, the ultimate lovely like road trip all along the South Coast, couldn't you? Yeah. Take them all in, you know, take a nice drive in between, stop off for lunch. I mean, they're really beautifully spaced, I would say as well. They're lovely. I think they're yeah. lovely. And what yeah. I think also my mother's, you know, she's never wanted to do cookie cutter properties. And so the ethos is the same, but they're all three so different. Um, they... Anyway, I'm incredibly proud of them all. Mm. Well, it has been so lovely to chat to you, Alex. We're on to the final chapter of your travel diaries, chapter seven, and that is the destination at the top of your travel bucket list. Um, I know that long-haul travel, uh, for lots of moral and economic reasons, is problematic. But one bit of the world that I would love to go to and explore is Japan. Mm. I would love to um, experience that culture um so different so different and and i don't know seeing i'm hoping that at some point in my life i still get an opportunity to do that that'd be amazing and of course it's it's just opening up now isn't it so they're ready for tourists to to come and visit well i'm very you know i've got friends who visited a lot i'd like to take a nice long um my nephew has just spent six weeks traveling through Japan oh, on his own. Nice. To and take he, that time. To take that time. I mm. think that the older you get, the more you appreciate actually something like a road trip or bus travel or train travel rather than being parachuted into locations. Mm. It makes such a difference to A, your enjoyment of the place, B, your understanding, and, um, and, and actually uh, your understanding of the culture, but also your relaxation. I mean, you can't just arrive somewhere and immerse yourself in it and enjoy it yeah i don't think yeah well it's that thing isn't it it takes five there have been studies haven't there where it takes a certain amount of days to actually reach a point of relaxation on a holiday i think it takes on average about five days before you actually can fully unwind and really settle in so with that in mind if you're ping-ponging around i mean i love a road trip i but love actually, a road trip yeah to actually have the time where you're not having to think about cramming it in ticking things off would be really nice yes i've got a plan i've got children who are just at you know examine ages and so it won't happen yet but i've got a plan at some point that we're going to do a six week you know, summer, we're no. going to take do it. You know, but yeah. the classic thing would be to go to America or something. But actually, I'm not terribly interested in doing that. I'd, I'd really like to experience a culture that's completely different from our own. Oh, well, I hope that you make it there Thank someday you. soon. Thank you so much, Alex. Those were your travel diaries. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much, Holly. Oh, it was so lovely speaking to Alex. So nice to speak to her in, in such an incredible setting. And of course, you know, we could have talked about hotels all day. We had a great time. Do check out the Polizzi Collection, Hotel Trezantin, Hotel Ensley and The Star. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to press follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you want to be the first to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and you'll also find me on Twitter and TikTok as of a few weeks ago, also at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait until then, remember there's the first 
eight seasons to catch up on. That's over 90 episodes to keep you busy there. All the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and listed on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks everyone, and I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.